everyone in my uh, hello ye. my country has been restricted from actually leaving or entering the country. They have to take like uh, some tests and stuff. Ah, okay. Good evening slash morning slash afternoon. We're like wherever you guys are in the world. Uh, the generic response isn't for it, that. Isn't it midnight? Isn't it midnight in Sydney? Uh, it's afternoon. It's uh, two o'clock in the morning in Sydney uh, at the moment. Daylight savings is weird and wonderful, but that's okay because we've got a long weekend. So I hope you're all having uh, a good Easter or about to have a good Easter, and uh, you know, hopefully you guys get a little bit of a holiday for that. I'm I'm not sure if that's a thing in your sort of respective countries, so. Uh, make of it what you will, and outside of that, as always, uh, I hope you guys are staying safe with all the craziness in the world, and that you also enjoy the latest video. So, um, with that kind of generic uh, intro out of the way, hello to you guys here and over on the live stream. Um, Captain Locke has already done his thing, and put up the talking points for tonight's Q&A session. As always, uh, originally, let's, let's try and keep it to these talking points. Uh, look, if you do have off-topic questions, as long as they're appropriate and economics-related, uh, that is completely fine, more than happy to sort of go over them. But realistically, uh, if you can, try and keep it to the point that Captain Locke's just sort of put up there in that lovely picture, because uh, it will help sort of guide the conversation and keep it somewhat relevant to everyone. So, uh, with that out of the way, I guess we'll sort of kick off with, um, like, the, 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 the big sort of picture, I suppose, and the fun part of this is, is what are your guys' thoughts? What's your speculation? Where will the uh, Dow Jones or the S&P 500 be uh, one month from now? I always love to do this. Uh, back to 13,000. I have a prediction. Um, depends on what the expected Q2 numbers are going to be, in my opinion, and how it will affect uh, the rest of the year based on performance. Okay, so uh, if you had to if you had to pick a price, let's say maybe at the end of the year, where would where would it be? I would say that it would go down because uh, I think uh, we know enough about the virus to know that this won't go over quickly. I mean, any hope of that has been crushed by now, and people are just deluding themselves at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, that's probably fair, but. Uh, the other thing is a lot of stocks uh, already have that sort of assumption priced into them. So a lot of rational investors, you know, people that are, you know, commanding, you know, oftentimes tens of millions or billions of dollars uh, already know this. They sort of know, they can read the news just the same as you and say, oh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty shitty time. But you know what? Look, I think this is going to ride it out. Uh, and then we will you know, sort of be in a, a nice, comfortable place, you know, maybe I just sort of don't sort of see it. Uh, they, they call it something as that's already priced into it. So it's already priced into, um, you know, the, the, the price at the moment. So it's a consideration. Now, someone was a little bit more optimistic, I think, here. Uh, I don't know if they were joking or uh, if they had a sort of a legitimate reason why they thought that. Uh, it ahead. was me. All right, go ahead. I don't know. Were you, were you joking or like uh, run a spy? It sounds interesting. Uh, well, I'm not trying to get into conspiracy theories here, but I'm pretty convinced that this is all a fiasco over the stock markets and that uh, the goal of everything, of the whole coronavirus outbreak, is uh, the inflated rise of stock prices. Yes. Right. So you're saying that all of this will turn out to be not as bad as everyone's just saying. It's probably a bit of media hype and... Uh, you know, once people realize yes, this that... is a this is a this is a fake recession. We're simply being kept in our homes. Uh, everything has been shut down. 
I think there exists a very valid reason for that. Okay, purely for the fact that I love, I love a good conspiracy theory. Um, why? What, what? Who would stand to gain from from this if we were sort of kept in all of our homes? What do you mean? Like, like, like every time, like every time, the politicians win, the people lose. There is no in between. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's one of the more out there theories, but hey, uh, no one has a crystal ball, right? Didn't they didn't win. <laughs> Realistically, I mean, I'm sure if we look back at some of the sort of crazy shit that they pulled in the past, uh, we probably would have called it just as, uh, just as insane. Uh, Kenyan Hack, in the meantime, I'm going to mute you, though, because you're micro... Yeah, yeah, there we go. You, 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 you're annoying. Uh, but uh, I think... Yeah, no, no, that's okay. I, I think that was, uh, you know, something very interesting to put out there. Uh, so now I first... Uh, I kind of... So that leads us realistically into um, the first sort of talking point, which is the dead cat bounce. So uh, 50% of that was that I wanted to have any reason that I could to, to put cat videos up there on the internet. Uh, heaven knows there weren't, well, there's not enough of those. Uh, but also, it's a very interesting and kind of widely reported phenomenon that a lot of people are making sort of predictions around. Uh, that, yep, sure, the, the market's rising again a bit now, but uh, it's just dead cat bounce. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to, to fall even further from where it is. Uh, and what are you guys' thoughts on that? You know, do does anyone have any questions about sort of the anatomy of how that works, the psychology behind it? Uh, I mean, do people agree, disagree? You know, I know Keynesian thinks it's just going to go back to normal. Um, my question would be, um, if we look back in, you know, if we compare it to the time during the Great Depression, I, I was I'm kind of concerned of whether. Uh, there will be some sort of like conflict arising from as a result. Yeah. Um. So you mean you like the the Great Depression led on to World War Two? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the Great Depression didn't necessarily cause World War Two. It certainly exacerbated issues in in you know, um, in in Germany at the time that potentially sort of sped up the process. But but realistically, I don't know if it was sort of the depression to. I really say, and a lot of people said that you know World War Two cured the depression. I don't know if you've watched my video last week, but uh, that might not necessarily be the case. Uh, I I wouldn't sort of be overly fearful of it. Um, look, I mean, countries will go to war for any which reason. Hey, you know, potentially it may be the catalyst that starts a war, but there's no reason to think that this is any more so than uh, than anything else out there in the world. If anything, oil prices are super low at the moment, so maybe it's not worth. Uh, you know, America spreading that freedom around just right now. But, uh, you know, who am I to say? Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, it's an interesting sort of theory and certainly some trying times can lead to, to conflict, I suppose. So, um, you know, your guess is as good as mine, I suppose. I do have one concern about, like, major bankruptcies across the stock market, like all the companies going broke. Right. What was you concerned? Like you concerned about them actually going broke, or or something specific about them going bankrupt? Like if if like there's a lot of them going bankrupt and the government couldn't build them out, I believe it's hard to recover for the market. And especially in China, there's like around two hundred ten thousand, if I'm not mistaken, companies are are going bankrupt there in China. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a rough old time, um, you know, for China. And, and look, I mean, there's a, sort of a lot of uh, bits and pieces about how badly this this whole virus thing has, has hit China, and that's all sort of pure speculation. And there's lots of 
uh, you know, arguments back and forth that maybe they're sort of just as deep in it as the United States is right now. But uh, outside no, of that... I... Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. I think outside of that, um, look, uh, the United States, for example, realistically, uh, it's announced that stimulus and it's annou announcing multiple ways of stimulus that's going to amount to trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, and for businesses, the big sort of uh, boon for that is, uh, for big businesses, the ones that are kind of listed on public stock exchanges, like the New York Stock Exchange, like the NASDAQ, uh, you know, household brand names that we sort of know and love, I guess. Uh, the big one is their sort of $500, uh, $500 billion stimulus that is primarily focused on, on giving out loans. So hopefully, you know, companies that would um, be on the verge of going bankrupt will be able to get this sort of lender of last resort uh, cash injection that will keep them sort of chugging along until hopefully, uh, you know, hey, a vaccine is found or it's, you know, it's business as usual. Um, when normally in a situation like this, if you were to go to a regular bank and ask for a loan uh, and, and your reason was, if I don't get this loan, I will go bankrupt, uh, a bank manager or a credit manager is just going to laugh in your face. But the government, you know, has a different vested interest. They're not there to make profit. They're there to make, uh, you know, companies stay afloat in their economy so uh certainly it's something that's hopefully going to stem the bleeding will it be enough who knows i mean it's crazy times that we live in where two trillion dollars uh injected over the course of you know a month and a half may or may not be enough um but you know that's uh, that's the kind of world we live in i suppose modern monetary theory but, but i gotta ask you a question uh, what is the impetus for companies to be responsible ever again? That is a fantastic question, isn't it? Um, well, what, what is the point of uh, f fiscal discipline after all this is said and done? Because I don't see any point of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we live in a... I, I, I forgot who said it, but it was someone very intelligent, and it was great. Uh, we're starting to live in a society where, you know, people, uh, you know, you know, Low-income low people are living paycheck to paycheck to pay landlords that are living month to month, uh, that are working working for companies that are that are uh, you know existing hand out to hand out. So it seems like one of those things where it's just going to keep on sort of compounding on itself uh, more and more. I quite like that because in a sense it's sort of true. Uh, you know we promote all this fiscal responsibility and certainly there are people out there that you know have savings and. You know, we'll be just fine during these times, potentially even be able to benefit from it a little bit. Um, but a vast majority of people um, really do need, you know, that kind of responsibility. And I think what we're finding is it's, uh, you know, not necessarily individuals, you know, they're the kind of poor sort of uh, people that are just getting by on minimum wage that are really to blame here. Uh, it's freaking companies. They're just as irresponsible as sort of the, the more most low paid sort of paycheck to paycheck individual out there. Uh, because it benefits them to do so. It, it's it's almost like you're punished for not being irresponsible during the good I'm time. Gonna, I'm going to add also, though, that, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. No, uh, no, go ahead. Just the uh, current situation of uh, the economy these days, it's so interconnected. Uh, people often argue that the banking system is of vital importance and that if it were to collapse, the entire economy would go with it, which I fully agree with. Um in that sense, you know, when we are so interconnected in the example of you have a person who's getting by on minimum wage, you know, paying landlords so that they can, uh, you know, effectively pay for the next, uh, you know, um, subsidy. Repayment, to, yeah. 
yeah, no, or I was going to say subsidy for the next subsidy for uh, uh, handouts to these large corporations. Um, it's almost like we can't let some of these corporations fail because then we have even more people unemployed and then the system really starts shaking. And it's more of rather than um, kind of uprooting the system altogether through like a violent burning, we should really work on like uh, creating a stronger foundation. Yeah. And I, I think um, I'll put it to you guys. What would you like? We're in a system like, look, we saw it in 2008, egregious moral hazard where banks were sort of, they knew that they would get bailed out. Uh, but even then it was a bit hit and miss and we saw things like Lehman Brothers fail and we saw how bad that kind of really impacted everything when, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley and Lehman Brothers went under. Oh, it brought the whole system down with it, right? So institutions kind of took note of that and being like, oh, you know, hell yeah. Like, you know, we can, we can really run our business, you know, uh, on overdrive, we can sort of run it on the red line because we know that if we do hit a, a bump in the road, yeah, it's all right. Good old Uncle Sam has got us. Uh, and I would I would point out e, that it's Lehman Brothers, you know, failing wasn't the whole uh, the cause of it. It was a lot of other lying things. People it, point to Lehman Brothers. It's just like ah, yes, it's a quick thing we can point to as a, a major event. But it was probably the, the pin, the pin that sort of set off the yes, the, like the, the Community Reinvestment Act. It's a uh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, you know. Um, you can't just blame banks just, for that one. I'm afraid for 2008. No, no, okay. I, I think. And apologies for the apologies for the misunderstanding. But I think um, you know a lot of a lot of people see it, and I think that's the perception. You know, hey, maybe that's a, a proof to the point uh, that yeah, look, I mean, it was sort of that 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 I don't know canary in the coal mine, perhaps, um, where this this sort of bank went under, and you know, look, it was still a, a sort of a major event, and companies knew it. They said, well, fuck, you know. Uh, Uncle Sam's never going to let that happen again, even if it just is to slow down uh, an economic collapse. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is exactly where we're at, where it's going to be something that, hey, look, if they get bailed out this year and, uh, you know, obviously this time they can shrug it off on, on something that was completely outside of their control and, you know, the coronavirus is a fantastic scapegoat for that. Uh, but, you know, look, at another 10 years' time, no doubt we're going to be in a debt crisis all over again and, uh, you know, they'll no doubt be sort of there, uh, Capitol Hill, sort of with their hands out. Uh, I suppose they've been lucky in, in recent years that they've had very generous uh, Republican presidents and, and, and uh, you know, uh, leaders that are sort of in that sort of position in, in, you know, in both instances. Do you reckon it would be different uh, if it was, let's say, a president like, say, uh, Obama or, uh, you know, let's say, potentially Joe Biden in the future? Um, Hillary Clinton, what would your thoughts be on that? Do you reckon they'd sort of open up the, the floodgates to, to bail good old uh, American Airlines or whatever it is out just as quickly? Well, well, well uh, what of the money or liberal side, so I'm going to say, yeah. Personally, I think that it probably wouldn't be too different, and that's simply because president only has so much power it still has to pass the house and the senate and the senate is controlled by republicans so they want it to look good this was a bipartisan bill yeah well it was that's right and look i think uh, they knew and it was the same in a lot of countries around the world where this kind of uh, these kinds of stimulus were passed with very little <laughs> objection because they knew it had to be fast uh and even if they didn't necessarily agree with the finer points of it it's like holy shit you know hold, holding off on this uh, it's going to be political suicide for anyone that sort of goes, ah, oh, yeah, look, I mean, obviously people are out there and they're losing their jobs, but maybe we should just sort of argue over some of these finer points. If that delays people getting, you know, 
payments to buy food for two weeks, that's going to look really bad, right? I disagree with you. (laughs) Because that bill, only a small amount of it, like a a small percentage actually went to giving people, you know, Trump bucks, right? The rest of it was just a bunch of crap. Right. Most of it was going to to companies. So you could have done your Trump bucks, everyone would have signed off on it, but they didn't. They filled. They, they they didn't. Obamacare filled it with crap and was like, "Oh, it's all right. Once we pass it, then we can read it." Yeah, but even still, you got to think about the optics. Politics isn't always logical. I would argue that. Yeah, yeah no, I they're, agree with. They're kind of holding those, uh, you know, the stimulus package. And look, I think it worked out to something like people get like twelve hundred bucks in it uh, extra, right? And I think that was more or less the extent of it for most people. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but a vast majority of it was going to benefit corporations. You know medium to, to large corporations that, you know, obviously we're doing it hard and uh, hopefully it means that they keep a few people employed, but there's no guarantee of it. But even still, a lot of people don't have that kind of critical thinking. They'll go, oh, you know, them damn Democrats trying to take my $1,200 away. Yeah, uh, give, give me my Trump bucks. I think it's $1,200 for every United States adult, except for college students. They don't get anything. Cause, don't deserve anything wow because they uh yeah cause, they smell. screw college students i suppose they those guys are I getting agree. it easy enough no uh, it's it's a it's a weird like kind of system it has uh so like if you're claimed as a dependent which you can be until you're 25 you don't receive any money and uh since most college students are claimed as a dependent because you can't have health insurance unless you're claimed as a dependent or have a job most college students will not be covered by the bill. Right. That's what okay. I get for being socialists. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of a bit rough for, I suppose, people that are just there, you know, they're not really getting paychecks from their parents, let's say, the bank of mum and dad, and they're just there for the, the free health care. But, uh, I mean, look, I mean, I think if $1,200 is the make or break for a college student, it's a bit of a precarious situation, isn't it? And I suppose they're really good at living off, uh, off ramen and whatever, so... Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it's an interesting one. You would thought they just give it to anyone, but anyway, I digress. Um, can I just say that, like, with uh, I think, you know, as an Austrian, I still think that uh, this these uh, like Trump bucks is actually a good idea because the economy since two thousand eight has been set up to be really hard to save. You have been incentivized through central bank low interest rates to take out finance on everything. Oh, yeah. So now you're being told you can't work, and you still have to pay off your, all all your debts for all your everything you have financed. Yeah, but this is artificial. This isn't this isn't a natural occurrence. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and especially when you consider things like well, yeah, low interest rates is the big one, uh, the push for a sustained inflation. Uh, even even people that are let's say financially responsible in a sense, even people that are uh, you know trying to be a little bit savvy or trying to be a little bit more conservative with their finances. So I'm not talking about people that are going out there and blowing all of their money on, you know, at the club getting bottle service or, uh, you know, buying a jet ski or getting tattoos or every other weekend or whatever it may be, you know, your typical sort of irresponsible senders. Uh, I'm talking about people that are just sort of genuinely saving for their future. If you think of something like, I don't know, a college fund, you know, a lot of people will have that for their children, they'll start putting money into it every week or something like that. Uh, a college fund's terrible at the moment because... You know, you're going to get what? What does what a good high interest savings account uh, pay in America? Here in Australia, you're lucky to get about two, two and a half percent. Yeah, it's the same in the UK. 
Yeah. Does, does any an American like want to say like what we if I was to stick my money with Chase, uh, what would I get in a high interest savings? I don't even account? remember. No, I don't. I don't remember. Not even. Not even worth uh, considering. Barely covered. Well, it is actually, but uh, Laos in third world country. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, either way, let's say two and a half percent. If we're targeting a two to three percent inflation rate, that's just it's going to basically sit there and do nothing. So people are incentivized to do one of two things. They're either incentivized to go, okay, well, look, fuck it, I'll just go out and spend it. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'll buy a house or, or do whatever. And, you know, I may as well finance a house with that savings because at least, uh, you know, interest is cheap and that seems pretty responsible. Or, uh, you know, I invest it in something that's going to give me a slightly higher return, like, you know, uh, potentially bonds, but more likely, you know, equities, uh, the stock market. Now, uh, if we sort of see that, let's say Mr. Responsible has sort of done that because, you know, um, putting it in a high interest savings account is basically dead money. So anything above, let's say, $20,000, they go and stick in a stock market. Well, let's say this kind of crisis hits. The last thing that they want to do is sell their stocks in the midst of, a, of a, uh, an economic downturn because that would be really bad. They're basically sort of closing in their, their losses. Uh, so it means that, sure, maybe even there are some financially responsible people out there uh, in the economy, and maybe that's just my wishful thinking, but let's say that there are, uh, a majority of them are not going to have the kind of cash buffer that they need to realistically survive six months without work because they're incentivized to either spend it uh, or put it in something where they're going to get a much higher return, well, or at least a, a passable return, uh, I would argue. So yeah, I think uh, the system is certainly not doing enough to incentivize savings. Now, uh, I'm not Aust I don't really subscribe to the Austrian school. I, I know you do, and there's a lot to be said for it. Um, I think there's a, certainly, as it relates to savings, a lot to be said for just somehow incentivizing people to have a decent amount. No one should be living paycheck to paycheck, because I like to think of it sort of like suspension in an economy. Uh, you know, you don't want your car to be made out of giant sprangs, but, um, you know, because then it's going to be all wobbly and it's just going to bounce all over the place. Uh, but, I mean, man, if, if there's no suspension in a car, as in there's no one out there that has any kind of savings, the, the moment you hit the smallest pothole, the entire thing is just going to get fucked, uh, which is exactly what we're sort of seeing now. So I think that was uh, more to your point. I think if we really want to avoid this in the future, two things have got to happen. Here's my little patriotic speech. One, we've got to somehow incentivize people to actually save cash again. Not saving well, the, the only way to do that is to raise interest rates, but you do that and you slow the economy down because everyone's reliant on cheap credit, right? That's exactly so you, right. So you would have to, uh, you would have to try and renaturalize or rebalance the economy with a recession. Yeah, you would I have to slow the economy down. It might negatively grow, right? I think we had, I think we had the opportunity to do that. You know, let's say mid uh, mid twenty tens. Uh, you know, the economy was going pretty well. Uh, and look, obviously, uh, central banks around the world did raise interest rates. Uh, yeah, they the Yeah, a lot of countries in Europe never got the chance to because you know, they were kind of going through their own eurozone crisis and they never really caught a break. Australia, for example, my God, we didn't lower, we didn't raise our interest rates. Um, you know, we were even up before this crisis. We're sitting at 0.75 percent. Uh, now we've had to desperately lower it to 0.25 percent. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, we had the chance and we kind of blew it to, to actually sort of say, hey, you know, put some money into a savings account, you know, just have something there. 15% uh, here <laughs> in Egypt, 15%. Yeah, imagine that. What's your, what's your so, annual sovereign risk? Sovereign risk. Egypt. 
What's your uh, annual inflation rate, though? Uh, it's I think nine percent. Ah, okay. Well, you mean your real uh, your real uh, interest is is still pretty all right. Uh, I suppose, but yeah, Captain Locke sort of said sovereign risk is exactly right. I would not recommend anybody go and opening a bank account in uh, in Egypt right now, uh, just because you know obviously um, there are unless you're in Egyptian, yeah, I understand the risk. There's a high risk, high reward stuff happening. Yeah, still doesn't sound too bad, man. Six percent minus like minus inflation, even for the sovereign risk, it might be worth it. You might, not get, you might not get all the guarantee. Yeah. yeah, the 6% because there's no guarantee that you'll ever see your money again. Yeah, and there's, yeah. Lots, of, there's lots of other considerations. <laughs> okay. uh, there's lots of other considerations as well. So the big one is... like high is... interest rates in Uganda. Okay, yeah, sure. Like, I mean, one, there's no guarantee of what inflation will do. Uh, you know, countries just print more money and they don't have the same kind of, like, Egyptian, I don't even know what the, the currency of Egypt is, doesn't have the same kind of pull as Japanese yen or US dollars or euros or pounds sterling. It's just not as universally recognized. The exchange rate might screw you. So even if you do, you know, stick your money in there and you earn 6% interest for 10 years, you'll basically have doubled your money. But if the value of the currency is halved, well, you've made nothing. So, you know, joke's on you. And of course there is, you know, the you know sovereign risk of the fact that, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit more of an unstable country than let's say, uh, Europe or the UK, Japan, America, Australia. Maybe that's just me being mean. By, uh, by the way, e, e, I wanted to say something to you. That image is, is freaking haunting me right now. That when you posted with the stocks going up and unemployment reaching record high, it's like the it's like a parody picture. I swear. Uh, I know. I saw that and I was like, my goodness. It's that's it's so a piece of art. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna that's one for the history books right there, uh, boys and girls. <laughs> Can I ask something? Uh, yep, that's what we're here for. Uh, I have I don't know if you've answered, but uh, rather the question originally was that uh, the world center of the world stock market is the Wall Street Exchange, and uh, we all know whenever we read in newspapers like the news that stocks fell and etc it's mostly alluding to the stocks on the on the wall street exchange so my qu question is how much does the, the stock uh, rate on wall street affect other financial institutions like fdsa nikkei uh, switzerland's frankfurt's and etc other, other stock exchanges in the world yeah. so a, a quick one thing that we do need to clarify okay so when we talk about wall street wall street is um a place in new york uh and there are you know wall street has a lot of major financial institutions uh two of these financial institutions are the new york stock exchange and nasdaq and they are two of the world's largest uh stock exchanges and they seem to uh, um they tend to follow one another uh, i don't know e what you know so i think you the, know, the new york stock I think the question was, uh, yeah, so the two largest are the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, uh, which are both in New York City, both both based in Manhattan. Uh, and they, you know, the New York Stock Exchange tend to have sort of more old school uh, companies. You think of, you know, your General Electrics, your General Motors, all of that kind of, you know, been around for a very, very long time, kind of old school Walmart, stuff like that. Uh, you know, Apple Pie and Eagle kind of stuff. Uh, the NASDAQ tends to be sort of more... Um, filled with, with tech companies, things like Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, but you know, realistically, they're number one and two for the biggest stock markets in the world. So, um, you know, obviously very, very big, very, very influential, and they carry a you know a lot and a lot of equity. So the question was, you know, if if the New York Stock Exchange, um, you know, booms in value overnight, um, does other do other markets follow it? The answer is normally yes. There's a very strong positive correlation between, um, you know, the the rise and fall of the let's say the S and P 500 uh, and other stock markets around the world. Normally, it's sort of an indication that the world economy is going well. Uh, you know, America is a you know very big recipient of, of world trade. It's sort of like the middleman between a lot of exchanges. So, uh, if it is doing well, normally the world economy is doing normally. Well. And, uh, All right, speak now for a world peace. Yeah. Where is this oh, coming from? Yeah. Where is this coming uh, from? But I Oh, Sanjay. Well, that was, that was, is Sanjay one two three that's making that noise? There we go. Sorry about right. that, guys. Thanks that for was that. awful. Um, and the the same, unfortunately, isn't always true in reverse. So let's say um, you know the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange, massively increases in value uh, overnight. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to influence uh, American markets. So. Uh, does that make sense that, yeah, American markets influence the rest of the world? Uh, world markets, individual world markets don't necessarily influence uh, American markets. Uh, they can be sort of a good indicator, but it, it doesn't tend to move uh, one and the same. So uh, interesting the question. Most... And of course, you know, obviously there are exceptions for that. Um, but, you know, that, that tends to be the way it works. The, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ are... Uh hugely influential it's unbelievable the amount of value that they they trade as compared to pretty much any other market out there in the world uh i have a question yeah go ahead uh in the video you were talking about how inflation isn't universal and it's different for uh like financial institutions based off or consumer goods could you elaborate a little bit more on that i feel like it wasn't very clear in the video or maybe i'm just really dumb one of the two. Uh, no, no, that's okay. It's a kind of a hard concept to explain. So uh, a lot of people think of inflation as if you get more money in the economy, that equals inflation. That's just it. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. Inflation actually refers to the rising price level of goods or the rising price level of stuff. Now, normally when we think of inflation, it as, it's as it relates to the consumer price index. Now, the consumer price index is something that um, you know, a central government agency will decide on a basket of items that normally are indicative of consumer demand. So it might include, you know, some groceries, some gas, insurance, electricity, uh, I don't know, maybe a new computer or whatever. And they'll bundle it all up and say, oh, I don't know, this bundle is worth $50,000 this year. And if next year it's worth $100,000, then they'll say, okay, we have a 100% inflation rate. So that's bad, right? Now, what we'll probably see this year is that let's say we have a $50,000 bundle of, uh, of crap. You know, let's say it's a, you know, a shopping spree, you know, and that, that people have just sort of gone and bought up this consumer price index. Now, because of all the sales that we're sort of seeing with stores going out of business, uh, you know, closing down sales, online sales, or, you know, or even... All right, uh, speak now for a whole piece. It's Primata. Um, what we'll probably see is that that actually will be worth less. So let's say we had a bundle of goods that was worth, say, $50,000, and it was made up of all of those goods and services that are indicative of consumer spending. This year, because of all the sales, hey, shit, it might be worth $25,000. And that would mean we have negative 50% deflation. 
Now, these numbers are very, very extreme, but uh, normally it's much more marginal than that. We're talking about, you know, one to anything over 5% is, is seen as way too much in either direction. Um, but I hope that makes sense. Now, that there's two ways that you can do that. Either you get, you know, sort of demand-based inflation, which is you give people more money so that they can bid more for more stuff and they sort of naturally sort of increase the price level of goods, you know, more demand equals a higher price, or you reduce the supply of stuff. Now, basically the opposite is happening. People are holding onto their purse strings and stuff is going on sale at the moment. Um, so we're gonna get deflation. But in financial markets, because the Fed is basically buying up junk bonds at the moment, we have quantitative easing that's almost unlimited. We have the government announcing, you know, $800 billion in um, direct sort of uh, subsidies to businesses in the form of basically no questions asked cash loans. There's a shit ton of money flying around in financial markets at the moment, which means that there's more demand for something to do with that cash. And that cash is going to stocks. Now, normally inflation as it relates to the price level of stocks is in line with inflation as it relates to the consumer price index. But at the moment, they're kind of divorced from each other because average consumers, you, me, everyone in this chat, we're all worried about where we're gonna get our, I don't know, next uh, next meal from and where we're gonna pay our rent or keep the electricity on during this sort of untrying time. Uh, but big financial institutions, well, they don't really care about that. They're thinking about, oh shit, you know, we just got this $100 billion loan from Uncle Sam. Uh, you know, where are we gonna use that to make sure that we can keep on making money? So at the moment, there's sort of almost two markets for, for cash. Now, it is uh, one of those things that's extraordinarily nuanced, uh, and it is by, by, probably by its nature quite confusing. Um, but I would say t the way to think about it is this, um, and I did explain it in the video. There's two ways that a stock can go up in value. What we normally think of when we see a stock rising in price is, oh, you beauty, that company's just grown, maybe it's at an extra factory, maybe it's released a product that people really, really like. You know, it, it's worth extra now. It's a, it's a more valuable company. Or the other thing that can happen is the currency that it's denoted in is just worth less. If you were, let's say, living in Venezuela. Or stock buyback. Stock buyback stuff that's happening in the country, uh, company. Did not understand what you said, but okay. Uh, stock buyback. Uh, not necessarily stock buybacks, but we can get onto those. Uh, but let's say, let's say Apple shares were trading in Venezuela. Uh, let's say there's a Venezuelan local market, and uh, you know they they sold Apple shares for um, what was the Venezuelan currency? I've completely forgotten now because uh, they use US dollars. The Bolivar. Yeah, the Bolivar. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah the Bolivar. And let's let's say that uh, Apple stock was worth one thousand Bolivar back before hyperinflation happened. No, okay, not bad. Um, you know, let's say that was the equivalent of two hundred and fifty US dollars. Yeah, pretty good. Now, hyperinflation, of course, happened in, in Venezuela. Um, so now, if you wanted to buy that same Apple share, let's say the the company did nothing. It's just sort of chugging along, and the price remained absolutely stable as it relates to any other market. You might have to buy that Apple share for two and a half quadrillion Bolivar now, uh, just because the hyperinflation's there. Now, Apple did not increase in value 10 billion trillion times over. Uh, it's just that the currency decreased in value by that amount. So that should give you an idea of, of how it kind of works in a very, very extreme example. Um, cash is losing value. It's not the stocks that are necessarily increasing in value, uh, especially in the financial markets at the moment. Now, that's only one factor. Um, you know, there are, of course, other factors at play, sort of more speculative factors, but it is 
uh, it is a force. Uh, and it is something that must be considered. So confusing as it may be, I hope that sort of added a little bit of insight to well, some people here. That part I understand, but for me, it's a little bit confusing because that money is still worth goods and services, right? So like at the end of the day, you can still like liquidate whatever you have in the stock market and then buy like a new tractor or whatever, you know? You're absolutely right. And eventually, of course, it, the, the, it pushes itself to equalize, um, but... Bridgewater Capital, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, they don't want to buy a new tractor. They don't want to buy canned food. They don't want to buy a new gaming PC. They want to get rich. So they're the ones with the money right now, which is why that inflation is directed towards that. Now, of course, eventually it'll work its way from, you know, their executives and they'll pay their staff and those staff will go out and buy, you know, I don't know, pizza at the local pizza shop and eventually it'll work its way out into the greater economy. So uh, that inflation will equalize throughout everything. Uh, but at the moment, because there, there's such a specific impulse of fresh money targeted so specifically at financial markets, uh, we're going to see uh, you know inflation there first. Uh, but it's a good it's a it's a good point, uh, and you do make a good point that long term, of course, yes, it, it will equalise, and that inflation will be more spread out. So does that make a little bit more sense now? Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was just confused about like how it would cross over into like the normal market. Yeah, eventually, of course, you know, um, it, it'll it'll sort of work its way through through wages, things like that. Uh, eventually, it'll find its way from these very very sort of high end financial institutions to, to common folk, uh, mere mortals like you and me, through through those sorts of instruments. You know, uh, either dividends to, to regular people that might own pensions or whatever, uh, or you know, wages through through normal companies and stuff like that. Um, I also would like, like to point out something here. Majority of stocks aren't owned by ordinary people, only around 15%, if we even include our retirement funds uh, and everything. It's a very low number that is owned by ordinary people. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, you know, major institutions, extremely wealthy individuals, uh, they, they own uh, by far the majority of, of stocks in the market at the moment. So that's a really good point as well. Um, so the truth is it's that... Sorry, oops, I sneezed. So basically, the ETFs have also been like uh, exaggerating the movement because that meant that like all companies were going down on the stock market, even the ones that weren't quite as affected. And also the other way around, I've seen like almost all stocks going up. Though um, when the stocks were going up, I did note that the more solvent companies were going up quite a bit more than the ones that weren't as insolvent. And when there were bailouts announced, yeah, then also with this the insolvent companies. Yeah, the, the ETF phenomenon is, is really interesting. And for those of you that don't know, exchange-traded funds or ETFs or uh, oftentimes, uh, what's the other what's the other th word for them? I'm, uh, the, man, I'm, I'm at a total yeah. loss. I don't know of any other name for them. <laughs> indexes. Uh, indexes, where it's basically, oh, yeah. uh, it's basically a, uh, a basket of shares. So companies like uh, Vanguard, Vanguard's the big one, uh, will go out and they'll buy up let's say the S&P 500. They'll buy up a proportional amount of um, companies as it relates to their you know, market share for the S&P 500. And they'll say, okay, yep. So instead of buying every single company here, which might cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to just buy one Berkshire Hathaway share, it's, it's $300,000 or something crazy like that at the moment. Um, it, it makes it more engageable for, for you know, average investors. So they'll you know, buy up all of these indexes and they'll um, 
go and sort of sell it to people and they'll kind of cut it up into a thin little sliver. So here you go, you can buy this for $100 and it basically has exposure to every company in the uh, American stock market or you know maybe it has exposure to the S&P 500 or, or whatever it may be. Um, but the idea is that you buy this instead of having to go and buy them all individually. Now that can mean that um, you know if this gets really, really popular and a lot of people just prefer to buy ETFs like exchange traded funds like this, I do personally as well, all I buy is ETFs. Uh, it means that if a company like, well, let's say a company somehow gets into this, uh, into this basket of companies and it's a really shit company. Well, if lots and lots of people buy the exchange traded fund, it's still going to rise in value. So it's still gonna have its shares purchased by Vanguard so that it can make more little slices of pie to give out to everyone. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean um, that you know, the prices has been judged fairly. And the same is true, you know, let's say a company go, goes extremely, extremely well. Uh, you know, some, someone that's sort of reacted well throughout this is like supermarket chains. Um, if people are selling off their exchange traded funds, their price is still gonna be negatively affected, even though they haven't technically done anything wrong themselves. It just so happens that they were kind of collected all up in this big basket. Now, a lot of people argue that this is actually a stabilizing force that kind of glues um, you know companies together in a sense uh, and a lot of people have argued that it's pretty shit at the end of the day um, it's ultimately the responsibility of these aggregators Vanguard Blackstone things like that to make sure that they're balancing their baskets um, so that if you know a company does tank in value that it represents a lower portion of uh, the pie that they sort of then hand out to people uh, BlackRock, Blackstone, I don't know. One of them's like some major hedge fund. One of them's, uh, yeah, one of them's an aggregator. It's uh, it's all very confusing. Uh, so hopefully that kind of makes sense for people. Uh, it's an interesting one because yeah, it can cause some it can cause some funky stuff, I suppose. What's your take on euro bonds? What's my take on euro bonds, man? I have absolutely no take on euro bonds. I mean, I I have done a video on negative interest rates and things like that, but like uh, bond bond market is not really my area of expertise. I I just invest in um, in stocks. And to be honest with you, uh, I think for the average investor, uh, that's probably what you should be doing as well. You know, sovereign bonds and stuff like that. That's for uh, at least in my humble opinion, that's for the that's for the big boys. That's for you know sovereign wealth funds. Uh, probably even too big for um, you know hedge funds and things of that nature. I don't know. Do you have any strong opinion on euro bonds? Are you, with the uh, euro bond, uh, is it low interest or is it negative interest? Somebody. Well, Italy, Italy basically has a lot of debt, so if they uh, will get a bond as a country on its own, they'll pay more interest than if the whole eurozone guarantees its money. So I'm Dutch and we have a way lower um, debt rate to GDP. So we can get a way better uh, interest for loan. But Italy uh, wants yes, to, I uh, see. Wants okay. the EU to guarantee the whole uh, loan. Ooh. So they can oh, pay so it's less like, interest. Uh, it's basically like the entire European Union is going guarantor for you. I don't know. Well, look, I don't have any strong sort of opinion on it. Just the same. Uh, as I said, uh, perhaps that sort of shows that I don't have that sort of much of an area of bonds are not my area of expertise, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, I suppose it's uh, collect, uh, a good show of collective bargaining power. Um, that's sort of where my sort of insight into the area kind of be begins and ends, I guess.
Oh yeah, I've, I've, I know Euro bonds. Uh, they're not just issued in Europe. Duh. Yeah, it's just the name. Uh, it just refers to the bond being issued outside. It denominated in, uh, not denominated. Uh, they have a high degree of flexibility as they offer issuers the ability to choose the country of issuance based on the regulatory landscape, interest rates, and depth of the market. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that what Bolke is so curious about is the Corona bond. So right now in Europe, there's this debate where they're thinking, uh, where they're wondering whether the European Union might not have to be a guarantor for these bonds that we have in common for uh, a, a relaunch plan for all of the EU. But there are some countries that are very reluctant, and the most vocal of them has been the Netherlands, that is not a huge fan of the idea of having corona bonds because they're afraid of the moral hazard that comes from. They're afraid that, for example, Italy might not do necessary reforms to be able to also repay these bonds. And this has never been done before. As far as I know, the European Union has never issued bonds before. Huh. Yeah, this is this would be on par of uh, the United States uh, when the United States federal government started issuing bonds. Uh, this like way back when the United States was just getting started. Uh, it was originally states would issue bonds, and, and the federal government the only way of raising money was through taxation. Uh, God, I might be butchering my history here, uh, but th this would be effectively the same thing. Uh, the Corona bond would be the same thing as uh, the European Union itself issuing. The bond and the states like the collective countries are all the uh guarantors so that's that's interesting um it would just be it would make like a federal a federal system similar to the united states one but with just a little difference uh with some little different mechanisms i have a question actually uh, about taking on foreign debt what is the difference between that and simply just printing more money? Because if you take on foreign debt, you're, that's still more of a money supply in the local economy. And so how's, how's that different, better or worse, compared to just printing more currency? Yeah, so it depends on a few things. Uh, oftentimes, uh, it will depend a lot on the country. So, if, for example, let's say you're a country that's a little lower down the totem pole on the national, or sorry, on the global economy spectrum, um, and you want to, let's say, uh, import stuff or build some new infrastructure project that's going to involve bringing in a lot of outside labor or importing a lot of materials, stuff like that. Uh, normally, you will need currency denoted in something like US dollars or euros, pounds, yen, uh, whatever it is, something that's universally recognized. You may um, be able to do it in your own currency. And in that case, uh, you can sort of print away, but of course you've got to uh, sort of recognize inflation. Uh, now, if for example, you're a country like uh, the United States, uh, yeah, you can print it. Now the United States is sort of limited in the fact that they will produce money by issuing government bonds. So they always do that. Uh, and that kind of increases the genuine demand for their currency so that they avoid uh, runaway inflation or people sort of disregarding the value of the currency altogether. What you said is an extremely complicated area of economics uh, and for the life of me I just don't have um, the time on a Q&A stream to really thoroughly explain it but uh, my goodness like I think uh, I think 
go and watch uh, the video on modern monetary theory. Hopefully that goes some way to kind of uh, exploring that. And if you do still have questions afterwards, uh, like come back and ask. And I, I don't know if you've sort of seen that yet, but that is probably the, the best area that I can point you to. Uh, outside of that, go and watch like a, a full length, uh, you know, university lecture on it because uh, that is, that's an intense question. Um, so that's just super the... unsatisfying. There's also a video by um that late. I can't, was it the University of Adelaide? There's a video on modern, modern monetary theory that goes for an hour. If anyone wants to check it out, beautiful. Yeah, I think uh, you know watching that. If it's something that it's really sort of in depth like that, uh, obviously my videos are it targeted to be sort of a little bit more uh, infotainmenty. You know, they they only go for sort of you know 15 to 20 minutes normally. Uh, and it's sometimes hard to, to really get into something that is quite as deep as modern monetary theory uh, and go over all the nuances of, you know, what it entails. I, you know, I think I did a pretty good job of it. I don't know if anyone agrees or disagrees, but uh, if you really, really want to understand it... Uh, you would say that. Yeah, you yeah. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do a pretty damn good job if I do say so myself. But yeah, I think uh, yeah. go and watch that uh, if, you, if you wanted anything beyond... Uh, but, you know, first, of course, go and watch my video and then hashtag like and subscribe, please. Mm, I forgot to ask one question. Will uh, the Austrian government try something like they did in 2008 when they gave out uh, checks to their citizens? The Australian government? Uh, they're effectively doing the same thing, uh, but... Because the government that's in charge now is different, it's like the opposition party. It's uh, back back in two thousand eight, we basically had the Australian equivalent of the Democrats in power. Uh, now we've got the Australian equivalent of the uh, Republicans in power, uh, and they kind of slandered the the Democrats sort of for what they did in two thousand eight. Even though internationally it's kind of recognised as a really good move, uh, it would look really silly for them to kind of go back on a decade's worth of, you know, sort of saying, oh, it was so irresponsible. Who would just give money to everyone uh, if they did exactly the same thing here now in 2020? So they're doing a kind of rebranded. It's like, you know, sure, you can copy my homework, but uh, don't make it too obvious kind of stuff. Uh, and it's obviously on a much larger scale because this crisis is uh, sort of a lot more direct, I suppose, in the sense that it's a supply-side shock as well as a demand-side shock. Uh, and uh, it's going to sort of be impact uh, the economy far more widely uh, as, as far as most people believe but they're doing something basically they're, they're guaranteeing incomes for people that are currently employed uh, and they've also doubled our welfare so at the moment now um, you know you can live well you're not going to live a great life off welfare but uh, it used to be that you're basically on the poverty line uh, now you would be lower middle income if you were on welfare so that's nice I suppose What would happen if the Federal Reserve starts buying bonds, uh, stocks? Yeah, well, at the moment they're uh, they're buying up junk bonds more so than they're buying up stocks. Like that's their sort of first port of call. Uh, they're injecting capital into the market so that people can buy stocks, uh, but they're sort of more uh, they're sort of more focused on on debt uh, more so than equity. That's kind of their bread and butter. I can't wait to see what will happen though. Oh, I can't. That's that's gonna be one for the history books right there. And also, by the way, the, if you're going to see is your WPI is actually basically it's been implemented in USA about the $1,200 that's been printed. It, 
is it actually directly uh, influence the stocks or no? What do you think about it? Ah, look, I mean, it will probably have a slight positive uh, influence. Yeah. Stocks, you know, some some rich people go, oh yeah, cheers, twelve hundred bucks. You know, no worries. Uh, have you seen what the you guys are is, oh, is not going to uh, regarding that? Have you seen what the landlords have been doing? Well, the most scummiest shit I've seen around. Oh yeah, cool. You guys have all got twelve hundred bucks now. You can pay your rent. Yeah, and you now owe me uh, twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, back pay. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. In Australia, there was something really bad as well. And um, the government—it was probably even worse than that, to be honest. Um, the government opened up uh, the—you know—in America, you guys have like four hundred one ks or you know pension accounts, stuff like that, where you where you basically save your money in a tax-effective way until retirement, and then you access it and you kind of live off that in retirement. Uh, we have something similar in Australia. It's called superannuation, but it's mandatory. For all people, all people sort of pay effectively 10% of their salary into a superannuation account. Uh, and the idea is that you can't be, you, you can't uh, touch it until you're 60 or 65. Now, um, in light of the you know, the coronavirus and all of the sort of uh, economic sort of failings that have come with it, the government said, okay, look, if you're really, really desperate, you can access $10,000 of your superannuation to make sure that you can continue to, uh, you know, live your, your life or, you know, go about, you know, what it is that you normally do. Now, a lot of people have lost their jobs, uh, and especially young people, and they're going, oh, I actually can't pay my rent. And in response to this, real estate agents and landlords and stuff like that have walked them through how to access their retirement savings so that they could pay next month's rent. Now that, oh, God. that in my opinion, is just peak scum. Hey, hey maybe the yeah. landlords should have uh, should have had a rainy day fund. Huh? Yeah, where's your, where's your six <laughs> yeah. months? Where's your six month emergency fund? Well, the thing is, they probably yeah, do. Exactly. To be honest, today they probably be just fine if they didn't get it. But you know, if they can squeeze an extra dollar out, you know, why wouldn't they? Yeah, I don't know. Um, faith in humanity is 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 broken in that one. I think a lot of people have been pretty fair. Uh, a lot of landlords have sort of said, oh, you know, look, if you can't pay, that's okay. Put it on break for ah. six months, and you know, maybe we'll pick it back up. But uh, of course, it's probably the, it's the bad ones that you hear about, I suppose. Well, I just signed a lease at the worst, worst possible time. Ugh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Feel bad, feel bad, But I mean, from sort of my understanding, aren't property prices and the housing market in general like intrinsically tied to financial markets? So, I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to support landlords squeezing rent out of people. But if those start to fail, like, isn't the whole point of these injections to increase liquidity in the market? So if the like, yeah, the housing market starts to go down, and the mortgage market, I mean, it's, is, it's, it's, it's kind of a fucky situation. Yeah, the mortgage market more specifically, because of course, if people don't pay their rent, then oftentimes landlords can't pay their mortgage, uh, and the mortgage market is an incredibly complex, extremely fragile system. We saw it in two thousand and eight, and. Uh, at least it's sort of based on a little bit more um, sort of better underlying assets at the moment. But, you know, if people can't pay, we saw how bad that can get because there's, there's, it's such a convoluted, complex, pretty much fucked up system in the way they securitize mortgages um, yeah. that they cannot afford to have people sort of hiccup on it because uh, a hiccup basically just causes the whole thing to hand grenade. Yeah, if you guys are interested in uh, talking about um, the mortgages and kind of delving into that, once he's gone, I'll I can talk to you guys about that. I've done the I've, I've ranted 
raved about mortgages before. Which would actually be pretty soon, because uh, it is three o'clock in the morning here, and I do have a day off tomorrow, which is lovely. But um, I, I do sort of want to uh, at least wake up and pretend I'm doing something productive on my last day of the long weekend. So I'll take one last question, and then I am going to sleep. Sleep on the bed. Good job. My thoughts exactly. Ah, all right. Well, that that wasn't a question. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> I will take it. Uh, because I am tired. And I'll hand over to, to Captain Locke. Uh, normally these discussions go well and truly uh, on after I'm finished here. So to anyone on the YouTube live stream, I will be ending it now. But feel free to jump on to the Discord server. It's all linked in the video description. Uh, thanks, guys, for watching the video and coming in and sort of engaging so actively in these Q&A sessions. It makes me feel more important than I am. And uh, I look forward to seeing guys all on Thursday. Happy Easter, EE. Oh, happy Cheers, Easter, man. you too. Happy Easter.